Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Jails Net Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast by fans for fans, where all the content is absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. I'm your host tonight, Ryan Archer, and as always, we would encourage you to get onto the Jails Net website and check out our forums for all your latest Rangers news and discussion. We're live tonight on the YouTube channel and we'd ask that you continue to share the pod on social media, spread the word, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Before I introduce my guest tonight, I need to give another mention to our partners over at Forest Precision Engineering. They're a Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big commercial supporter of Rangers for a number of years and we're delighted to have them supporting the pod. If you want more information about them, please visit their website at www.forestprecisioneng.com. They also have a stunning executive lounge in the IROX main stand. And for more information on that, email the club at hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Right, now to bring in my guest, firstly, Ross Bennett. Ross, how are you doing? Are you managing to get through this international break? Uh, to be honest, Brian, I'm absolutely melting. I, I, I don't know how it is up there, but it's been 30 plus degrees here for about five days in a row and I'm not cut out for it. I'm really not. So, no, I'm a bit hot, a bit hot and bothered, but otherwise, okay. Yeah, I know the feeling it's uh, pretty warm up, um, up here as well. Um, also joining us tonight, we've got Ian Duff. Ian, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm sweltering as well, so... We're all in it together. But apart from that, not too bad. Uh, we're just not built for this kind of heat, are we? Exactly. Right, guys. Um, despite it being an international break, there's still plenty of um, going on that we just to talk about. Um, obviously, we've not had a game in the last week to go over, so it's kind of just been analysis of the fallout from uh, last weekend's game. I'll come to you first. And this, Ross, with a week to kind of to over the game and analyse it. How do you reflect on what happened last weekend and what went wrong for Rangers? Um, what, what went wrong for Rangers is, for some reason, we were unable to put the ball in the back of the net. And I, I don't quite understand why that is. Um, I I actually still believe we have better players than them. Um, I think we've got a stronger squad. Uh, there's no reason why we... We should have lost that game. I think, you know, we could probably question, and it's probably right to question the tactics because something that has been a running theme this season is that despite the fact that we've that we've got decent players and we spent good money this year, it's it's not it's not instantly clear what the manager's trying to get the players to do. And I think that that was made very, very clear last weekend uh, during the old firm there didn't seem to be any cohesion. There didn't seem to be any discernible style of tactics or formation or or style. Um, we know that that Michael Beale is an extremely accomplished and academic coach, so I'm sure there is a style. Um, it's just that sort of simpletons like me can't figure it out. Uh, I, I wonder if that maybe means that simpletons like players might not be able to figure it out either, and maybe he's asking them to do things that they're not. Uh, not able to understand or they can't execute in the way that he wants him to and it leaves us looking a little bit I don't know, headless chicken at times but that being said we had so much of the ball um, everything was kind of in our favour and that they were under a bit of pressure they'd had a couple of bad results on the trot we had 100% of the of the support at Ibrooks because they shat it again um, and, and refused to take any tickets so everything was is in our favour the ball was in our court um, they scored uh, with, uh, let's be fair, a, a really well-taken goal that came from nothing, from, from I still think, quite a lazy clearance, uh, clearing header from, from Conor Goldson. Um, 
and that was it. Actually, as soon as the goal went in, or certainly within five to ten minutes of the second half, you just felt we weren't going to score. And that's despite spending huge amounts of money on attacking creative players. We we never looked like scoring. We never really troubled Joe Hart that much. So that's what went wrong for me. Um, it's it's highly disappointing, and it's 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 maybe compounded by the fact we've gone into an international breakup. But every single one of those players would have been desperate to have a game three days later and go out and put that right. Um, but they but they couldn't. So that's that's kind of left us with this long two week feeling of of bitterness, and um, I, I think we're now choking to to actually get the football back. Yeah, you know, I think that's made it worse for me is this that break just coming at the wrong time. They kind of after a defeat like that, the first thing you want is the next game. They, they kind of put it behind you and because we've had this this long break. There's been quite a bit of pressure on Michael Beal, as you'd expect, all on our own from defeating. You know, accusations that he's lost every every big game he's he's had his um, manager now. Ian, it looks like he's going to continue as Rangers manager for the time being. Do you have faith that he can turn things around? I mean, I don't know. That's the question. I think, as uh, as Ross said, there's, you know, we're all about sort of in the dark a little bit as to the direction we're going in terms of the the gate, the the play on on the pitch. So, don't really know. But I mean. To me, it feels to me as if the writing's on the wall and that uh, there's a sort of sense of inevitability that he is going to go, unless there's a huge and dramatic turnaround in the next sort of month or two, then, you know, it feels like it's just going to be, we're going to hang on until the next sort of big game and if that results in a defeat or, or a less impressive uh, draw, then that's going to be the pressure on again and, and, and it just seems that this is of inevitable until either things massively turn around or until it gets to the point where uh, he gets the boot. So I, I, I don't, in terms of whether we'll be able to turn it around, I don't know. Uh, I'd be surprised the way things are going, but I don't know. I mean, we're you know we're, we're four games into the season, and you know the the players that we've bought haven't made an instant impact. You would have to say, but you know they they, they might, and then and we could be seen in the next. You know, two or three weeks, maybe it'll all start to click. I honestly don't know um, is the answer, and that, that's part of what the frustration is. And when you have a, an international break straight away, like you say, the you know the the space is filled with plenty of people putting their uh, tuppence worth in and their speculation and their and their and the no knowledge uh, uh, that generally speaking doesn't tend to come to pass, but. There's a lot of talk about various things, but I just feel there's a sort of sense of inevitability at the moment that he's uh, not quite dead man walking, but it feels a little bit we're getting towards that stage already. And, you know, that that's even more, as we saw last season, you know, the longer that drags on, the worse it gets as well for the for the team because, you know, it, it, the time he was uh, Van Bronckhorst was replaced last season, we were probably beyond salvaging last season, so... Uh, if if it, if it doesn't turn around quickly, then I, I think it's probably inevitable he's going to go. So, I'm a bit like I'm a bit like yourself, to be honest. I'm not fully in one camp or the other in terms of should no. he go or, or should he stay. And to be honest, I like Michael Beal as as a person. I think he comes across pretty well. I think he's a decent guy. I do think he's a good manager. I agree with Ross. I do think we have good players. I think even the players that he's bought. I think. These are good players. We're just not seeing the best of them at the minute for whatever reason. Now, Rossi mentioned there, it is only four league games gone. So we are still very early in the season. 
Um, and for you, some of this reaction being a bit over the top? Uh, yeah, I think arguably it, it, it possibly has. I, I, I fully accept the, the, the line of argument that he has failed to win any of the really big ta big tests or big matches put in front of him. Um, well, we've, we've got another big match coming up soon against Livingston in the League Cup semi-final and, and that's an opportunity for him to go and, and, and put that right. Um, but you're right, yeah, we're, we're, we're four league games in um, and we knew that this summer was a big rebuild. Uh, arguably, it should have happened 12 months ago, but it didn't and that's where we are. So we knew it was going to be a big rebuild. We've bought brought players in from from overseas from various different leagues um and none of whom I'd, i just you know thinking about your your sam lammers your cyril dessers your abdullah Sima, they haven't really played for a club like rangers with the pressures or the expectations of rangers um so there's naturally i think you know, if we try and be generous there is going to be naturally some sort of a bedding in period now, it's very difficult because at a club like ours, you, you can't really take your time to get up to speed. You know, we, we've seen that. Um, but that being said, uh, am I not right in thinking that uh, the, the season that Alec McLeish won the treble, did he not lose something like two of his first four games that league season? And um, there was an article in the in the Daily Record of the Scottish Sun about how the, the, the league title was over and it was Celtics and he went on to win the treble. So... These things can change very, very quickly, and I actually think we will probably that things will be a lot clearer in in, in two or three weeks' time, because if Bill uh, goes on and gets, you know, he's, he's had this two-week period with um, with the players to work on things and try and get his message across. If we go out there and batter St Johnston uh, on Saturday, and and we go on and and put a little run together, I think some of those players. Uh, I read an article about a week ago particularly about Cyril Dessers, he's a confidence player. And sometimes when he's out of confidence, he, he, he can't hit a, a barn door with a banjo, but when he's in confidence, he will bang them in from wherever. Maybe they need a bit of confidence. Maybe that's what it is. You know, PSV was was humbling. Um, to, to, to go from that into the old firm was, was far from ideal. So I think actually in a couple of weeks' time, things will be a lot clearer. Look, I'm, I'm very much like the pair of you. I think it's very difficult today to make a decision as to whether we should, we should stick or we should twist. Um, I don't want to see us become 1990s Celtic, you know, lurching from, from one to the other and give everyone 9, 10, 12 months because it doesn't, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't really set you up strategically for long-term success. I, I think we'll know a lot more. Things will be a lot more certain in a couple of weeks. Um, I think the board or the club, the management, the hierarchy, whoever it is, have clearly backed him. I know we'll, we'll, we'll come on and talk about that later on about the financial backing that he's had. But we've we've clearly spent money this year, some of the players that we've brought in. Um, and they had to back him. We, we They absolutely had to. But uh, how long does that backing last? You know, you're, you're only ever a game or two away from a crisis at Rangers. And um, it's, it's a really... It's it's a tough position. Like I say, I'm I'm, I'm very similar to you two at the moment, and I, I can't make my mind up right now on what the right thing to do would be. Yeah, Andrew, the, the the more I kind of think about it, the more I'd I'd like to see him given the time to turn it around. As you say, we've we've given him the backing, and I think he deserves at least a fair amount of time to to get his ideas across to his players and and to turn it around. Ian Ross mentioned there the backing that. Michael Beale had been given, there was an article during the week on the Rangers Review, kind of around um, the transfer spend and 
and the kind of transfer window overall. Some of the points in it seem to contradict what Bill has said in terms of Bill had spoken about will break even in terms of net spend, and the article seemed to suggest that it's been a kind of multi-million pound net spend for this um, transfer window. So are, are things like that just not helping overall just now in terms of it? It seems like whoever um, whoever the information was coming from kind of contradicted the manager. I mean, I read that article and I, I couldn't really quite get my head around why people were getting quite so agitated about it. I mean, the, the difference between what that article was saying, and I'm assuming that information and that has either just sort of been gathered by the stuff that came out at around the time of the, the transfers or it's been sort of dead as as these things happen uh, from the club. I didn't really think it was that massively different from what uh, Beale himself had said. I mean when you when you break it down and you know he, he's talking about breaking even and I think that article did it say three million net spend or six million net spend? I, I'm not really sure. Once you add in things like you know signing on fees and wages and all that sort of stuff, then we probably are breaking even, and that's that's probably you know we've, we've sold players, we've got players out and got them off the payroll, and we've brought new players in, and I don't think there's a huge difference in in you know what's been spent, what's not. That's not to say either of them are are, are bad. I think we've invested quite a lot. I mean, my, my worry would be is if we sold a lot of players and got a lot of players off the payroll and then didn't bring anyone in to replace them. Of a, you know, theoretically uh, similar standard. So, I mean, we've clearly done that. So, I, th I think you know, I, I don't see that, that necessarily is a big deal in, in that article in itself. I think obviously what's happening is that because you've got this quiet period where there's nothing happening, people are looking at that and they're jumping on it, and that doesn't help matters, I suppose. But that's no nobody's fault other than the people that are, uh, you know, endlessly speculating. I mean. Some of the stuff, some of the stuff around uh, Michael Beale from from supporters, I'm going to be honest, is uh, you know absolutely disgusting. Really, to be honest, some of the, the way people are talking about him. Um, I mean, whether you rate him as a manager or not, he is the manager of Rangers at the moment. He's not done anything that merits the level of uh, well, that has been poured towards him in some quarters. So, I, I hope that once we get back into uh, the, the footballing side of things. And we do hopefully start building up a, a bit of a run that some of these people will, you know, own their uh, comments down because I know he probably doesn't fall around and read all these things, but it, it gets back to you and it, it, you know, it feeds a sort of feeling of negativity around the place. I don't think it helps anybody. Um, so I'm hoping that once we, if we do get back into this, well, when we get back into the season, we do start putting a run together, a, a decent results that people sort of. They may not change their view. They might still think he's not the right man for the job, but they 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 sort of express that in a bit more of a same way, basically. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, kind of some of the comments directed towards him, or to be honest, downright abuse has been absolutely out of order. Um, during the week, to be honest, um, now Ross Kenny Miller kind of said a few interesting things during the week around the kind of pressure. On Beal, and I think the point he was making is that it seems to be more intense now than it's ever been. He spoke about some of the periods that he had went through with Rangers in terms of he spoke about progress needle corn, he spoke about I think there was a run of three games under Walter Smith in a way 09 when they drew all three, and he kind of suggested that you know the pressure 
that's on Michael Beale now after last Sunday, you know, wasn't anywhere and was much higher than what was he experienced in those kind of two periods. What do you think that kind of level of increased pressure is down to? Is it down to social media? Is there, is there other factors? Is it just a 24 hour news cycle that we've got nowadays? Possibly. Um, I think there's a couple of factors. I think social media is, if it doesn't make these things worse, it certainly amplifies the the already loudest voice. Um, So, for example, Rangers lose 1-0 to Celtic and our official Twitter feed has to tweet that. All you're going to get beneath that tweet is a, a thousand responses to say, this is terrible, this isn't good enough, and the manager should go. Um, well, that's simply because no one's going to respond to that and say, well, that was bad, but I think the manager should stay. That's just, that's not how people work. So social media does amplify um, often the worst of our society. I think as we look at Twitter or X, that's certainly got worse over the past 12 months, in in my opinion. Um, That's not to say these people are wrong, by the way. It's not to say that it's, it's wrong to want the manager gone. But social media, whether whether it makes it worse or not, as I say, it does amplify that. And the the accessibility of every man's opinion is so increased to where it was even even 15 years ago. Um, so that's one thing that's different. I think something else that's different is that we have gone through, um, as a club, such a, a, an awfully challenging period where we haven't won enough trophies. Um, there's a fairly major reason for that, obviously. It's, um, it has to do with non-footballing things, but 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 also in the past six or seven years, we've not been competitive enough. We've not won enough trophies. Um, and so I think there's just a lack of patience now. Our, our patience collectively has worn out, and I get it. I really get it. Um, we want success. We demand success. This club should be successful. And when it's not, after what we've been through the past um, what decade, decade and a half, whatever it is, uh, we... Uh, we've just run out of patience and we're not we're not willing to go through another trophyless season we're not willing to go through another season of watching them lift the title so that's um, that's possibly what's made these things uh, a little bit worse i think yeah back in in 0809 or, or under walter we went through as you say we've gone through bad runs in the past but there was always a feeling that we could turn things around um i don't know if that's that same feeling at the moment um, yeah, it's and, a big difference, isn't it? Because you know, Walter Smith had proven that he was able to do it. You know, he he had good credit in the bank. You know, because he he'd done so much in the past, and the players that we had had, even those players had had won in the past, and he did exactly as you say. You you felt as if there was, you know, okay, we might be going through a bad run, but we could turn this around quite you know quite easily. Um, as you say, that doesn't seem to feel as if that's there at the moment and that's partly, well there's down, I looked into a lot of factors and a lot of that is because we literally haven't won anything really in the last two seasons or last season and uh, barely won anything in the last 11 seasons so you know it's understandable but mm-hmm. you know that maybe people should I, I totally get it you know where they're coming from but they just need to think where we are and you know I don't know. It's frustrating. It is frustrating, and I do, I do understand where people are coming from. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, 
I can totally understand that. We, we, we all want to win, and nobody wants to be the one to say, "Oh, you need to look at where we've came from." And I know and how That's far we have come. I found myself always we, we all just want. Thought, I, I we all just want to win, and nobody wants to be the one to say, "Well, actually, if you, if you break it down from where we came from, you know, ten plus years ago, down in you know playing Annan and breaking and to where mm-hmm. we are now, you know, I know." Alex Anderson often makes the point that, you know, we've been to a Europa League final, we've won a Scottish Cup, you know, these are all building blocks, but nobody really wants to hear that. We all just want to see trophies lifted and league titles won. And don't don't forget how close they are now to reaching 55. I think that is something that weighs quite heavily on a lot of people, is the possibility of seeing them overtake us in terms of league titles. Um, every, every match that we drop points is another step closer to that happening. And... Um, that would be a really, really sad day for all of us. So I think I think that plays into it as well. Yeah, we kind of had that when they were going for the 10. You know, that was the big pressure season and the pressure was on and, and we kind of, you know, we won the league that season together, 55. And now we're kind of looking at, oh, they're potentially going to overtake us in league titles. So there's always going to be something kind of with the pressure in the background where we're going to want to win. I think at the end of the day, Rangers fans are just used to winning and we've been brought up on success, whether you were, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, we're just used to winning winning league titles and winning trophies and we haven't done that enough in recent years and I think that's probably what um, it boils down to. I, um, I think that's quite an interesting point. So I was, I was just going to say, because some of the people, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's the younger fans that are, you know, getting really angry and uh, are, are, are you know, the new breed of fan that doesn't have any patience and all this. So I actually don't think that's right. I think what a lot of the people who are most angry and uh, desperate at the moment for, for some things to improve are people who are a little bit older who have grown up with the success and, you know, endured the, the, the last decade and felt after 55 that we'd actually sort of reached that point again where we were back where we were. And maybe we were, maybe we weren't, or maybe we overachieved at that point. But the reality is, you know, the de- the demands are so high now that that there is always going to be this level of pressure, and that that was kind of where when that, when people are sort of touting names for manager, it worries me if you know I I, I wasn't really hugely in favour of Beal coming back as manager anyway because I felt we needed somebody more experienced and somebody used to with a, a more of a demonstrable winning mentality. And it worries me if we if we go down the road again of somebody who's you know untested or hasn't got that track record because what we need more than anything is to get back to winning ways. That was what Rangers has been all about, and you know that that's why it's so important that we get the right if Bill does leave, we get the right manager next because we can't afford another project. You know that's that's the thing. And you make a good point there, Ian, in terms of 55. There was such a feeling of being back and, you know, we've got our title back and this is us back where we belong. And we appeared to, you know, have the dominance over them and we had the, our foot on the throat and, and we just didn't capitalise. And I think there was kind of a belief then, but for me anyway, I kind of felt like, you know, this could set us up for the next two or three years in terms of that season. We were so dominant, you just couldn't see how we couldn't go on and, and win the league the next season. You know, they had their problems um, in terms of the managerial search through that summer and things like that and you know I guess a bit of complacency maybe set in where we just felt like the next season's league was a, a bit of a given because they were in a bit of disarray and, and it never really turned out like that obviously and I think that's again what's frustrated a lot of people and certainly I get frustrated by it because I still think back to that summer and think what a missed opportunity you know they were you know in disarray they had hired a new manager and 
you know, if we hadn't been dropping points to Motherwell and Hearts at home, we could have had another league title under our belt. And I think that, again, just adds to that kind of pressure and frustration. We're obviously working here on the assumption that, you know, Michael Beale's going to be in charge. It seems to be that um, he'll still be in charge when the football returns. So, Ian, in terms of changes that he might need to make to turn things around, is there any changes you'd like to see in terms of personnel or tactically um, you'd like to see him make in terms of maybe players that haven't been getting a game or maybe different systems you'd like him to try or anything like that? No, no, I'm not going to sit here and uh, tell a, a coach how to to set up his team because I, you know, I'm, I'm in no position to do that. But I mean, I, I think I think it's more fundamental than that. I think you know, however he sets up the team, however whatever personnel he uses, we should have a system and personnel that are good enough to to beat the majority of the players and the teams in Scotland. So we're you know we're at the point where we've got a run of games that. We just need to get the confidence going. We just need to uh, get get them playing. Get, get try somehow to get the confidence up. Uh, you know, block out all the the sort of negativity that might be uh, may or may not be surrounding the the club at the moment, and and just go on with winning games. And that that is you know what it come, what will come down to. So you know, I, I'm not going to say you should pick uh, X and Y. It's, you know who who am I to say that? But I, I do think. That he needs to just get. So, so this is this is where I, I think a coach really earns his money is, is is on the man management side of things, and that that's that's what Beal has got to do now is get those players playing and and doing. If they are as good a player as as he thought they were when he signed them, then we'll persuade them to uh, throw that on the pitch. And you know we've we've seen signs of it. We've, we've, you know it's not been a, a total disaster this season so far. I don't think. I mean, I think there's been signs in some games where we've, we've looked good in patches. And and you know if we get a bit more clinical in front of goal again, again, I think that's a problem we had last season, and it doesn't seem to have improved this season. But you know that you know if we create the chances, and then hopefully the, the strikers will score, and and not just the strikers, others will score goals as well. And uh, and that's that's what he's got to do. So how he does that. You know that's that's what he earns, earns the money for, but you know it, it doesn't really. It's not the the, the the team that he picks really. That for me, it's it's how he sets them up, or rather, it's how he gets them motivated to actually go out there and perform. Fair point, Ross. One of the other kind of areas where there was a lot of talk about during the week and a lot of backlash was around the players on social media, and um, so I wanted to cover you on this one. For you, is it? A good idea, and what do you make a kind of our social media? I um, I've actually in the last last few weeks I've come off all of it. You know, all all social media is um, I'm, I'm not sure it's it's doing any of us any good anymore. Um, I think when when players do that, or they, they make themselves more accessible. There's uh, we've spoken about it before. There's good points and there's bad points. There's good good sides of it is making themselves more accessible to their fans, you know, the, the likes of us who who pay their wages. But but realistically, ninety nine percent of sports people on on social media are uh, uh, trotting out the cliches or the lines that the media department have asked them to say. The wasn't good enough today. Give it a hundred percent. We go again next week. Blah blah blah. We're not our best. Got the three points. Thanks for your support. And then a couple of clapping emojis. Um, so we actually, I, I don't feel we as punters really benefit from 
players being on social media anymore. Um, maybe the exception to that is if they sort of move into the, the even newer side of social media, like streaming and stuff, and and start actually giving us some some real genuine interactions. Um, but that's that's very very unlikely to happen because you just make yourself a target. Um, and that's that's actually the conclusion I've come to now is that they are just making themselves targets when they stray away from those really cliched corporate lines. The good example is uh, a Todd Cantwell. Um, I am not convinced that him putting a load of stuff out on social media in the way that he does, you know, he's, he's very Instagram heavy, I think. I think he makes himself a target. And, and actually, let's take this away from Todd Cantwell. There's the, the new lad that plays over at Celtic, is it? Uh, Holm, Odenholm, um, who put something on Instagram and had the caption, it was something like, lie down, bitch. And he, oh, he was ripped to shreds amongst the Rangers support for just posting something so cringy and embarrassing. What? Who's who's benefited from that? He He's not gaining anything. His teammates aren't gaining anything. If, if anything, he's making himself a target when other teams play against him, because the, you know, who are you to tell me to lie down? Um, opposition fans are going to laugh at you. You make yourself a target, and 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 Kentwell, to a degree, has made himself a target to other teams' fans in in this league. The Celtic fans absolutely hate him. Um, there's there's themes in there, by the way, which I think are verging on homophobia and verging on bigotry but that's um that's probably an argument to, to to have another day um i actually don't see what value any of us are getting from it anymore from from the players being on social media is it helping the players not really it might get them a brand deal here and there um is it is it benefiting us as fans i, I don't see how it is anymore it's not as if many of us are you know, sending DMs to Tav on Instagram or, or, or getting a reply from Connor Goldson on Twitter. So we're not really getting personalised interaction. We're not really breaking down the walls between the stars and the fans. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm you know, maybe I'm, I'm in my 30s now and maybe this is the problem as I'm getting old and crusty and uh, but I just don't see the value. I don't see the benefit anymore. And I would I would strongly suggest that they'll just come off it. It'll, it'll do them a world of good. Nina, you have a, have a similar mind? I think if you'd asked me five, six years ago, I would have said, you know, yeah, they, they should all be on social media. I think I would agree with Ross now that I don't think there's anything to be gained by it on any, uh, on any front. So, you know, I, I, I didn't really think that what Cantwell said, if it's the thing, the thing that I saw that people are referring to was all that big a deal, to be honest, but it, 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 it's just another another contribution to the whole uh, the whole pressure and, and and sort of negativity, I suppose, and it gives that opportunity for people to jump on something else. So, yeah, I, I don't really think it, it really contributes much uh, nowadays. And I think players, as as we said, you know, as, as Ross said, you know, it's 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 just like comments really most of the time that you get. And if if anybody veers off that, then it's yeah, there's lots of praise for it if it's something if it suits. But as soon as things go badly, then uh, then it's uh, an easy target. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. Um, it was kind of, he put Todd Campbell posted a picture 
when Celtic got knocked out by Kelly and all the kind of Rangers fans were loving it. And then when he posted the post up the other day, you have like criticised for it. So it's kind of like you can't you can't have it both ways, kind of thing. So I, I kind of agree with Ross. It's probably at this point not really doing anybody any good for me be as active on on social media. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. Now, last point I wanted to cover is kind of thankfully getting away from the game was around one of the things that came out during the week was proposed legislation relating to buses travelling to football games. Now, we don't expect too long to talk about this because the proposal was actually shelved, but there's potentially going to be some new legislation coming in around buses not being able to stop at pubs on, um, on the way to and from games and um, buses having to arrive no earlier than two hours before and no later than one hour before the game kicking off and having to leave within 30 minutes of full time. Now, thankfully, I was widely criticised from all football fans and the government um, and the plans seem to have been shelved. But is this just another example, Ross, of football fans being treated differently from kind of any other sections of society or any other sport fans or festival goers? Yeah, that's a really, really good example. Festival goers, um, where the the sole point of it is to get pissed and have fun. Um, that's not that's not strictly true, but it's a, it's a big part of it. I, I I don't want to get too preachy and too political, um, but I actually think that this is particularly in Scotland, but also down here in England and in other parts of the world. I, I think this is a a, a strange form of. A prejudice maybe but certainly criminalization of of football fans and football culture um we have all been on the buses we have all gone to games on the buses there is a strange allure to it um you, you probably grow out of it in a, in a way as well um it's it's part of our sporting heritage it's part of our football culture and for many of us it's part of our routine um, and that's that's drinking on buses or or you know stopping at the pubs and um, I think the the point that you make is it's absolutely right. Is there any other sort of context that that gets policed or or regulated in the same way that that that, that football does? And the obvious example is rugby, um, where you can drink in in <laughs> pretty openly. They're not subject to the same regulations that that the football is. The fans don't seem to be treated in the same way. Let's bear in mind. We're a small country. The rugby fans and the football fans, it's, uh, the Venn diagram is not two separate circles. There's a huge amount of crossover there. Folk are allowed to enjoy both, but you get treated very, very differently depending on what shape the ball is. Um, now, you could get very political about this and say it's criminalisation of the working class because one sport is working class and one sport is, is arguably middle class. We were having a, a chat just before we came on air with uh, with, with Frankie, the, the head honcho from Jersnet, and I know he likes his rugby, but he is very, very middle class. And I think the rest of us are all a little bit more kind of blue collar. Um, it, I, I think there is a, a general tendency to punish the working class and, and turn a blind eye to the activities of the middle class. Uh, let's be fair. I'm saying that as a very middle class person myself. Um, uh, I, I just think it's a great shame. I think it's good that the fans were able to, uh, across all of football in Scotland, were able to, um, come together. That's a very rare thing in our country for the fans to all come together and, and, and shout something down. But um, we've seen what can happen in the past when we don't do that. The Offensive Behaviours at Football Act being a very, very good example of um, how badly politicians can get the, the, the management of football wrong. So I am 
I don't particularly enjoy getting on the buses anymore myself. Um, and again, that's that's to do with me getting a bit old. But there's absolutely a place for it in our footballing culture. And I think it, it attempts to try and diminish that on spurious grounds of, of safety or um, whatever it might have been. I just think it's nonsense. Personally, I'm, I'm delighted that it's been chucked out. That was the one thing that, I mean, really surprised me is that there was almost unanimous support or opposition, I should say, across the board, you know, both at the, uh, at the fan level, at the club level and at the, the governing body level in Scotland against these, which, you know, is almost unprecedented. I can't think of the last time there was ever something come up where you had such a a, a strong sense of uh, unity against against that thing, or in favour if it was something you want to be in favour of. So that that is, you know, if anything's come out of it, then that is it. But uh, you know, Ross is right. There's a, there's a a real prejudice against the political cl- class. I think in Scotland and and the UK and uh, as a whole doesn't understand football and really what it does understand of it doesn't like it. And they, they, they I think there's a there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, part of it is the sort of middle class snobbery of it, and part of it is this sort of fear of uh, antisocial behaviour that, uh, that you know they have to be tough against that sort of thing, and they see football fans as a an easy target. You know, football fans are no different to anyone else. Now, if you put a load of people together in a group, uh, let's face it, a load of guys usually, and they have a lot of drinks, and and they're they're going to get a bit leery and they're going to get a bit shouty, but usually there's there's no reason, no real problem with it really let's face it no different to going to a festival that was always the the the, the thing when teen the park were running the you know the, the arrest figures would be produced from that and it would be you know n- you know a hundred odd arrests which would be like label the number of arrests you would get at an old firm game and, and people would say well why are we having all this uh, moral outrage at old firm games and everyone thinks teen the park's a festival of fun and you know that, that's just the way, different way that these things are perceived by by the political class, and I think you know, in all political side, not just you know, you don't, I wouldn't single out one particular party. I think they're all the same in the sense that once you go into politics, you sort of move away from, sort of, with a few exceptions, but from normal people, and you know they live in this kind of bubble themselves, and, and you know they don't really get it. So. I'm glad it's been, if it has been shelved, I'm glad that's the case. I'm glad to see that for one Scottish football so united against something that is clearly insane. Yeah, I think we can all uh, agree with that. I think we can all say we're glad that it's been shelved. Um, right, I think we'll call it time there. Guys, all that's left for me to do is to thank my guests. Ross, thanks as always. Thank you for having me. My brother, Ian, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, no problem at all. I enjoyed it. Uh, as well as being live tonight, the show will be available on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and we'd ask that you leave us a rating on your preferred podcasting app. Um, the podcast will be back on Friday evening. I think it'll be John and Craig to look ahead to our trip to Perth. Until next time, bye for now.